0: Welcome back. This is Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for Gary Nolan, and I am honored and thrilled to be joined by Yasmeen Mohammed in this segment of the show. Yasmeen is the author of Unveiled, How Western Liberals Empower Radical Islam. She's also host of a podcast and YouTube show called Forgotten Feminists, which is worth checking out. Welcome to the show, Yasmin. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I really appreciate the invite i'm thrilled to have you on because you are one of the first voices that i really heard that has the credibility with you know growing up in the fundamentalist islamic world and then rebelling against it to point out to us westerners that this hijab is not something that we should all be celebrating uh, can you explain why that is yeah
1: absolutely not i guess um, so as you mentioned, um, I was born and raised in, in Canada, you know, very, uh, you, you'd think free, secular, you know, country, but, uh, I grew up in this, in this bubble of, of Sharia, going to Islamic schools, eventually being forced into a marriage with a terrorist, um, a member of Al Qaeda, having a little baby girl with him, and my daughter is who inspired me to, Um, You know, I I didn't want her to live the life that I had just lived, and so I found the courage to get myself and her out of that situation. And I was quiet for many, many years because, as your listeners may not know, the punishment for denouncing Islam is execution, and that doesn't have to be done by the state necessarily. It can be done by any Muslim who's believing enough, who's pious enough, as you'd have seen with the the Salman Rushdie, situation or the Charlie Hebdo situation, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so I was very quiet for many years. And then when I finally decided to speak up, I was still scared and I was anonymous for a long time. But what encouraged me to come out properly and publicly was all of the people sending me messages from all over the Middle East and North Africa, South Asia, any Muslim majority country sending me messages saying finally thank you please keep talking let these westerners recognize and understand that they have been sold a lie for so many years this lie one of the many many lies they've been sold is that hijab is a choice that hijab is feminist that hijab is empowering Hmm. um and as you mentioned you know i try to do that with my books i try to do that with all of my activism and Um, you know, for so many years, I've been screaming about this, but the women in Iran burning their hijabs in the streets right in front of police officers with, you know, ready with guns and bullets. Those women have really driven the message, you know, more clearly than anyone else could have possibly. Now, there is no question how women want to be free from this tool of misogyny that has been forced on girls and women across the world under threat of torture, under threat of imprisonment, and even death. And so thankfully, I think the message is finally getting across.
0: Well, there's more to be done on it because I do not think that this is getting the attention that it deserves. These women and the men that are protesting with them are literally putting their lives on the line to stand up to an evil, you know, oppressive regime. This is far different mm-hmm. from like wearing those pink hats in 2016, the women going to D.C. to complain. These women yeah. have real grievances, but where are all the women in the pink hats when it comes to yeah. women that are basically enslaved in the Middle East, and in Muslim majority countries, and even in our own countries in these enclaves? Um, where are our are their fellow sisters? Why aren't we standing up for them? But I applaud you for risking your life as you'd be considered an apostate, right, for speaking out against mm-hmm. Muslims, but mm-hmm. you gave me license as a, you know, Anglo woman to also speak up about how mad I've been about this, quite frankly, for years, you know, like, uh, yeah. so it's yeah, wonderful. any
1: rational human being would be, and I'm really glad that you have the courage to speak up. And as you mentioned, it is disheartening to see that we are not getting the support that you would hope and expect that we would be getting, uh, not just from feminists, but from anybody who believes in liberty, anybody who believes in in, in human rights. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the propaganda machine has done such a great job of shutting people down with this word Islamophobia, that even when you're talking about girls being raped to death and beaten to death over a piece of cloth on their head, even criticizing something as heinous, as inhuman, as absolutely the most, you know, disgusting and deplorable things you could possibly imagine on the planet, even talking about those things are, are considered Islamophobic. Like, you are the bad person for pointing out these vicious things that are happening in the world and not everybody is like you very few people are like you and even though they may be moved by this they may be upset by this they may be feeling like you know i hope there's something i can do i wish there was some some way i could help they're silent right um, the same people who would ridicule
0: who ridicule christians yeah. at the drop of a hat yeah. for anything like would ridicule some of these things that are, are believed in islam if they were only believed by christians like the quran says in surah 434 that Allah instructs men to beat their arrogant or disobedient Mm -hmm. wives. And we have like a billion people living in Muslim-majority countries that are following these laws, and that's one of them that you're allowed to do. Is that right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But this is the reason why we can't get domestic violence
1: criminalized in so many Muslim-majority countries. Because how can you criminalize something that a law has already sanctioned? If a law has already told men that they can beat their wives, that they can rape their wives, then how can you create laws after that that tell men you can't do that, actually? You know, this is criminal behavior. You can't. And so this, there's a real, this is one of the many real dangers with having Islam you know, uh, prevailing over these countries, having Islamic laws prevailing over these countries. I mean, look at the Islamic countries. Look at them. You've got the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan or whatever it is that they call themselves. You've got the Islamic Republic of Iran. You've got, pa- you know, Islamic country of Pakistan. I'm not even sure what their names are, but they all have Islamic in their names. I mean, Pakistan, Afghanistan. Iran, ISIS, Islamic uh, state of, of Iraq and Syria, look at how these countries that have the word Islamic in their title, that they're so proud of being Islamic countries, look at how they treat women. I mean, it really does not take anybody with more than two brain cells to rub together to take a look at this and say, what's the common denominator between all these countries that treat women less than dirt? All these countries that are not letting women go to school, all these countries that are not letting women ride bikes, sing, you know, choose what they want to wear on their own bodies. You know, all of these countries that are restricting women's movement, restricting their abilities to be grown human beings that are treating them like like little dependent children for all of their lives. They never get an opportunity to be autonomous human beings. Um, and that doesn't even bring into play all of the, the, the vicious things like the, the child marriage, the female genital mutilation. You know, there, there's the horrific way that women have to live under all of these, most the majority countries, is something that is really shockingly surprising that the whole world can just turn a blind eye to that and to add insult to injury, when i try to speak about it or any of the women that come on my forgotten feminist show try to speak about it or any women any activists anywhere try to speak about it we are the ones who are attacked right. we are the ones that are called hateful bigots and homophobic i mean it is it is just gaslighting to the most extreme degree
0: yeah i i cannot imagine the hate and the threats that you get because just one time as i mentioned to you we're uh, Twitter friends, and I follow you on Twitter. I encourage, she's a great follow on Twitter. Yes, me and Mohammed XX, or yes, I forget the exact handle, but yes. what's your handle? Yes, Mohammed XX. Okay, and I just retweeted her, so you can find that at ESQ on fire and follow her there. But is, like, I just did a reply to one of your tweets with a supportive comment, and I got threats yeah. and trolled by, there's like an army of these people that will intimidate yeah. and harass you just for supporting general notions like women are human beings and just see like in some ways we've come so far but in some ways we've just ignored the fact that we haven't brought everyone along with us and they're playing their rule book their laws were written you know in like not a not a very you know organized fashion 1400 years ago and that's the rule book that they're using and the punishments that they're meeting out. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And quite frankly, I think it's racist that people ignore it. Yeah. And your story about like how you were, you were so abused um, growing up and you went briefly to, you went to public school a little bit uh, during different Mm -hmm. years and you actually had the courage Just your teacher asked you if you were okay. And can you tell us, uh, you had welts all over your body and what happened?
1: Yeah, that was Mr. Fabro. He wrote the foreword to my book. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, he asked me if I was okay, because I was obviously feeling really down that day. My mom had threatened to take me out of public school, and because there was no summer school to put me in, I was just going to be homeschooled. And so, I was devastated about that. And uh, so, he asked me if I was okay. And I just, for the first time in my life, I felt like I just want to offload all of this. I'm going to share everything. I usually just kept it. I was embarrassed. Uh, You know, I didn't want people to pity me. And so I never talked about any of the abuse that was going on at home. And also it was just very normalized too. So as a kid, you know, when this kind of stuff happens to you, when you're being tied to the bed and whipped from the age of five, you don't really know that this isn't normal. You think that's how everybody lives. Um, And so I told him everything. And um, he told me at that point that it was his duty as a, as a teacher to inform the authorities. Uh, and, and I was absolutely petrified that he told the police and then child services got involved and it was a fake huge court case. And and, and in the end, the judge, uh, the judge said, well, that's your family and then that's their culture and that's how they choose to discipline you. And so, you know, who am I to get involved? Yeah. And, uh, and he left me, he left me in that abusive environment. Right. And and you'd been
0: beaten by, you were hung upside down from the ceiling of your garage and whipped with a belt, both ends of a belt all over your body. That's just cultural and that's okay. And I think you rightly point out if that had been a white child, there's no way that judge would have put that child back in that family. And why are we treating little girls differently based on the color of their skin? And, endangering them like that it's just shocking that's happening in the western world and yeah. this is just uh regularly happening happening over in the middle east where yeah. women are totally controlled and they oppress each other but what? i yeah uh, sorry what were you gonna say no i was just i was just agreeing with every word that you were saying well well, I want to ask you about like the bravery of these women in Iran, and what your thoughts are on the, for the future of that country and for this movement next. But we have to take a quick break. But don't go away; we'll be right back with Yasmin Mohammed on the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. And we're back on the Gary Nolan Show, joined by Yasmin Mohammed, and Yasmin is um, activist. She's an ex-Muslim; that's how she describes herself. We're talking about these protests in iran and the hijab and why women there are burning it and yasmin why is it that the you know people in power in iran are so hell-bent on women wearing a hijab to begin with
1: That's a great question. Um, The unfortunate answer is that it's not just the powers in Iran. It's the powers in Iran. It's the powers in Afghanistan. It's the powers in Saudi Arabia. It's the powers in Pakistan. It's the powers in any Muslim-majority country. Now, whether that power is your government and law enforcement or whether it's your father or your husband or your community or your school, there's... There's always this overwhelming desire to control women and to remind them that they are subordinate to men in every way. So there is gender segregation. There is, you know, in Islam, the Prophet Muhammad said women are less intelligent than men. And men need to be guardians of women, they need to control women. And so you see that playing out around the world in every Muslim-majority country. And when a woman, I liken it to handcuffs, when a woman takes off her hijab, it is like a slave taking off their handcuffs. That woman is saying, I am no longer going to play by your rules. I am no longer going to accept that I am less intelligent, that I am subservient to men, and that women will make up the majority of people in hell. I refuse all of this misogyny. I refuse all of this vicious sexism and I say no. And I'm standing on my own two feet and I am removing this cloth off my head and I am going to free my head and free my mind from your vicious misogyny and your hateful filth. And that is something that they just cannot stand, a woman that cannot be controlled, they would rather see her dead. And this is not just my opinion. There are so many recordings of so many religious men all over the world. There was just in Egypt, a young girl was killed, and on television, the imams are there saying, well, if she'd have worn her hijab, then she wouldn't have been killed. If you don't want to be killed, then you got to put your hijab on. They just will do anything to keep women controlled. And the hijab is one of the very, you know, most visible ways that you can see that women are being controlled. But make no mistake, it is the tip of the iceberg. It is only the physical representation, it's only the part you can see. But the control of women is so much deeper and so much more insidious than that. But really, long story short, they just do not want to see women standing up and recognizing themselves as valuable human beings. That's something they will not abide by.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting in your book, you, you discuss how um, control of girls or how a man's honor and his family's honor is Correct. measured. The more control that a man has over his wife and daughters, um, that the more honorable he is. And that's why they you know shame women women cannot look men in the eyes they have to keep their heads lowered like a dog they have to keep their voices low and yeah. um, it's just uh, unbelievable how oppressed women are under the system but like apostasy saying that you don't believe in the system is punishable by death
1: absolutely yeah yeah you're absolutely correct all of that is true and you know this is why we have such a prevalence of honor violence and honor killing. Now it's not called honor violence and honor killing because there's anything honorable about it, but it's like you said, because it's related to this notion of family honor. So mm. if, uh, if one of the women in your family, because that's that's where the honor of the family comes from, it's like how well can the men in the family control the women? That's the question. And if the men in the family control the women well, then that's an honorable family. But if there is a woman in the family that decides that she's going to wear jeans or decides she's not going to wear hijab or decides that she's going to have a boyfriend or decides that she's going to have a job and make yeah. her own money. Exactly. Exactly. Then Listen that dance. is dishonor <laughs> on the whole family. And so they need to to get rid of her. They need to control her in order to reinstate the family honor.
0: Um. We're talking with Yasmin Mohammed. This is Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for Gary Nolan. And Yasmeen, if, uh, we just have about a minute left, but would you have a minute to stick around for a few listener questions uh, after a quick break? Okay. And before I go to break, I was amazed to read in your book that, you know, they romanticize this calling to prayer when you see it on TV. Um, but you learned years into it how you'd been chanting 20 times a day, you know, during your five different prayers. What were you chanting? What were you calling for in those five times of praying a day?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's the destruction of the non-believers. The, you know, the the people who have upset Allah, the people who are devious, you know, Christians, Jews, any non-believers. Um, it, 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 you, you repeat things so many times. I mean, we pray five, Muslims pray five times a day, but even... Within each one of those prayers, you're repeating certain verses multiple times per prayer. Oh, okay. So Calling for death of non-Muslims.
0: Times a day. All right, we'll be back and taking your calls with Yasmin Mohammed on the Gary Nolan Show on 93.9 The Eagle. Call in five seven three eight seven four nine three nine zero or text me. We'll be right back.
2: This is the Gary Nolan Show,
0: and we're back. This is Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for Gary Nolan, and I'm joined by Yasmin Mohammed, who is a hero of mine, quite frankly, a brave uh, advocate for women uh, and freedom throughout the world, especially when it comes to um, women who are trapped in oppressive situations like uh, fundamentalist Islamic situations. And Yasmin, so. And we just right before the break mentioned that, you know, the prayers, the mandatory prayers that people have to do five times a day call for the death of all non-Muslims in Arabic, which not everyone understands Arabic, but that's what they're muttering and repeating and memorizing over and over. But we see Iran, you know, for years now call for the death to, to the United States, death to Israel. Do you think if the people rise up and throw off the yoke of this theocracy that they'll still feel... That those are their priorities i honestly don't feel that those are their
1: priorities right now now obviously i'm not speaking for every single iranian but the bulk of iranians repeat the slogans death to israel death to the american death to the west you know they repeat it in, 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 because they're living in a theocracy that executes any dissidents. they repeat it in the same way that women put these hijabs on their head they hate it they don't want to But they're not given the choice they they, you know when in school you're told to chant death to the americans you're going to chant death to the americans because you don't have options it's either that or you know the islamic regime is is known to shoot thousands of protesters in the streets you know with this situation the protests that are happening right now hundreds of people have already been killed and not just killed but like Girls are being raped to death. Girls are being beaten to death. There, there was this one young girl that was shot six times. I mean, they're, they're so beyond just inhuman, vicious monsters that, yeah, people are just going to chant what they need to chant. But it, to I, survive. it's not what they believe. It's just to survive. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, if you have questions for Yasmeen, we're taking her calls. 573-874-9390. And um it, this is a fascinating conversation to me. Uh it kinda reminds me just recently had a, a guest from the former US who was raised in the former USSR and they had to, you know, idolize yeah. Stalin and you know, that's just drilled into you. But once that fell, the people I don't think felt the same way about Stalin and everything else. Like once that requirement to mutter all that stuff went away, then people stopped doing it
1: exactly that's exactly correct is that what you hope will
0: happen if uh, they are successful this time in overthrowing the theocracy in Iran I don't know what's gonna happen once they've
1: overthrown the theocracy in Iran I don't think anybody like right now there's so many conversations going on where you know the Iranian people don't feel like you know if the theocracy is overthrown at this point they're talking about when the theocracy is overthrown and they're trying to plan for next steps Um, but it truly is exactly what you just described with people who are living under the former Soviet Union. You, you have to say what you have to say. You have to do what you have to do because your life depends on it. But if Iranian people were able to free themselves from this theocracy, free themselves from the Islamic regime, free themselves from this religion of Islam that has been shoved down their throat for the past four decades. I mean, there's so many people living in that country today that have never known freedom. Um and how much of it is coming has been removed. What that will I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say once that has been removed, I have, you know, high hopes for what could come next, but you know you never
0: know. Is it all the people rising up? Because I read some articles and they focus on, you know, there's eighty million people in Iran and a million of them are a part of the Kurdish minority and a lot of them have been protesting, but is it people from the majority religion as well that are protesting
1: yes absolutely it is the kurdish people so masa amini the the young 22 year old girl who was beaten to death that triggered you know that sparked this whole revolution uh she is from kurdistan she's kurdish so of course her people have been front and center in this fight they were also front and center in, in fighting against isis they're incredibly brave people um so that is true however These protests are not just taking place in little areas, pockets of areas in Iran. They're taking place across Iran, in every city, every municipality, in every area that you can think of. The Iranian people are speaking in a united voice that they do not want this Islamic regime. Now, having said that, of course there's going to be people who, you know, who love the dictatorship and who have been, uh, you know, have been served well by this dictatorship and who would love this theocracy to continue, just like in in any country, you're going to have those people, you know, the the Nazi supporters, you know what I mean? Yeah, the people who have have a lot to to lose if things
0: change. Exactly. That are on top right now. But it is uh, heartening to see men risking their lives and protesting alongside these brave women who are taking off the hijab so clearly they're not overly offended by seeing the hair of their fellow citizens that are happen to be female right
1: no it's so beautiful to see and, and i absolutely love that and and that's something that we we've commented on a lot like it's something we've never seen before you don't normally see men standing up with women um well they're not
0: allowed to mix in public right yeah
1: yeah but they recognize the same like they they don't understand maybe perhaps what women are going through of course or being forced into hijab and all that stuff like they can't get it to that degree but the islamic regime has been you know it's so corrupt it has hurt everybody So they're fighting against the Islamic regime the same way the women are fighting the Islamic regime. Maybe they all have different reasons
0: for hating it, but they all equally hate it. Uh, Brian had a question for you about how homosexuals are treated in these countries. Brian? Good question.
2: Yeah, I was just kind of wondering, is it similar type of uh, punishments if uh, those people that are gay are discovered, or how does that work?
1: yes it is execution is the answer so in 15 Muslim majority countries yeah in 15 Muslim majority countries gay people are executed by the state if if they are discovered and so of course you have to live in this you know underground make sure that nobody finds out that you're gay and, and a lot of Iran does this extra thing where they force People to transition so if you've got two men they'll say well one of you needs to turn yourself into a woman so that you look like a straight couple from the outside and then therefore you we won't kill you we won't execute you because you at least are not spreading your uh, your devious behavior because you look like a, a straight couple
0: That's and so one, one member. one I'd be like, you go, gay. there's no way I'd want to be the woman all of a sudden in Iran. like yeah. Second class <laughs> citizen in all ways. Uh, in your- so oh if,
2: if, a, if a woman, uh, Islamic woman, strikes her husband for some reason, what is the punishment for oh my that? Gosh.
1: I can't, I can't even, I don't even, I don't understand the meaning
2: of the word. <laughs> 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 I'm just asking these questions because I'm curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't imagine um, I, I, she wouldn't survive. I mean, there in in Iran, there have been countless. You know, these are videos that are all over the internet too. This isn't just stuff that you know, like old wives' tales. There was a man recently who was angry at his wife because she was wearing Western clothes, and so he beheaded her, and he walked around holding her severed head in his hands by the hair parading her. this is what I did to the poor who walked around in Western jeans. This This is what she gets. And there's fathers that behead their daughters. I mean, again, the stories are endless. And the punishment for these men are things that are so insulting. You know, like the man that beheaded his 14-year-old daughter got three years in prison. Compare that to a woman who takes off hijab who could get like 25 years in
0: prison. Wow. And then children or the incidence of violence against children is is pretty high in these societies, which could be leading these men once they grow up to be violent. Uh, What are your thoughts on that
1: Yes, that the, the violence is is really very normalized. Unfortunately, again, you'll see so many videos and and pictures all over the internet where people are sharing stories similar to mine of how they were beaten and whipped over needing to boys. on. Yes, boys and girls uh, to memorize put on and to pray, and that goes back to a hadith uh, where Muhammad said that in order to get your children to pray you need to beat them and so it's it, it's it's not even considered um, it, it, it's not considered like something negative or bad in the society it's considered something that is almost pious because you're you're following the the instructions of the the most perfect man that that ever lived. You know, the most perfect example of humanity for all people for all time, as it's
0: called. (laughs) So in Islam, which I've been told is the religion of peace, you chant death to all non-believers five times a day in prayer, and you're instructed to beat your wives and to beat your children regularly. Is that right?
1: Yes, yes. And raping your wife is also not an issue.
0: Wow. Well, I um, applaud you for your efforts. Um, we could go on and on oh yeah the double standard for heaven is fascinating to me like what's in it for women to stay in this religion because like your husband gets to decide if you get to join him in heaven and if he says no do you still get to go to like an alternate heaven but you don't get the 40 sex slaves if you're a woman (laughs) that's right
1: the uh all of the perks of heaven it's a it's a man-made it's a religion made for men by men and not just men but like Toxic, brutal, vicious, gross men, and that's why they came up with this idea of you know seventy-two virgins, where you can just you know have sex with them as much as you want, and then they always go right back to being virgins again, and and they never have any uh, bodily hair or or bodily odors, and essentially they he created this image of a a a doll like a sex doll. (sighs) And, because 72 um, of those and, and then so as many men. of
0: your wives as you'd like to join you and all the rest of the women get to go to hell if their husband, yeah, who might have been a jerk, doesn't select yeah. them as one of their many wives to join him and his sex dolls in heaven. Right. That I is, don't, don't see the sales pitch anyway. there. Oh my gosh! <laughs> exactly. Yes, she's going to sit there and watch him have
1: sex with these sex dolls. Yasmeen yes. Mohammed, a fantastic paradise.
0: Oh my gosh, we're running. We ran out of time, but Yasmeen Mohammed, thank you so much. Follow her on Twitter, buy her awesome book. I just reread it in one sitting yesterday. Unveiled, and check out her podcast and YouTube show, Forgotten Feminists. Thank you so much for joining us, Yasmeen. And don't go away because we have, we have the big pot debate coming up in the next hour and a mishmash of stories in the last few minutes. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show. Jennifer Bukowski sitting in on 93.9 The Eagle on the Zimmer Radio Network. And we're back on The Gary Nolan Show. I'm gearing up for the great pot debate between my two longtime friends and the two staunchest like marijuana legalization advocates that I've known in Missouri who are for whatever reason on opposite sides. Look at how thick this printout is. This is double-sided legal size sheets, single-spaced, that's the length of this constitutional amendment that we have to decide on. It's just two paragraphs on your ballots, but it's 39 legal-sized, single single-space sheets in the actual uh, language that would be added to the Constitution. My goodness, that's quite a bit of language. I'm parsing through it all, and I've got questions for Dan and Epen about it. Um and other events, gosh, there's so much going on. What a fascinating conversation that was with Yasmeen. Uh, I learn so much every time I interact with her and watch her show about uh, that whole situation. And we really do have to be careful because things can change dramatically like they did in Iran in 1979, like they did when... Um, they had the civil war in Russia, and then, you know, the socialists took over and moved everyone around, and they had famines, and then they were all of a sudden lived under, it was considered, they said it wasn't a religion, but it was basically the religion of socialism that they had to chant and pray to constantly in their schools. So, things can turn on a dime, and I think that's why it's important for those of us who have freedom, while we still have it, to speak up against oppression of others Um injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere as martin luther king eloquently said and i firmly believe that and i would hope that if i were oppressed and women in the middle east were free that they would speak up for me i really would hope that and not just say well because whatever she's white and that's their culture it's okay if she's abused and raped and sold as a child bride and mutilated and all that kind of other stuff but uh we have a legal question on line one from todd welcome to the show todd Hello Hi Todd, welcome to the Gary Nolan Show
2: Uh, Hi Jennifer, how are you?
0: I'm great, having fun
2: Uh, Yeah, me too Um, I just have a a, a general question Um, It might be off topic
0: Well shoot, what is it?
2: If, um, you know nowadays we don't know who's a boy or a girl it's it's just a person. Mm-hmm. But if if a woman hits me in my face, can I punch her back?
0: Well, uh, you can use, like, a, a amount of force that's reasonably necessary to defend yourself. So, it depending on your relative sizes or whatever, like, if there's, like, less force or whatever, you can use, like, the uh, appropriate amount in your own self-defense. So, I would say if it's, like, a small woman and you're a big man, you're punching her in the face when she's smacking you. No, you can't under the law still do that.
2: What happens if she's bigger than me?
0: Then that could be an appropriate amount of force for you to defend yourself from getting hit more.
2: Does that, does that apply to men? So if a, a one small man hits another bigger man and the bigger man hits the smaller man down to the ground?
0: yeah i mean that would probably be okay but then you can't be like kicking him and so forth like if you just sit him back i think that no prosecutor is going to file that case but if you like have some sort of weapon in your hand and it's obviously an unfair fight then yeah you could be risked you could potentially face criminal charges self-defense you know you can normally use the amount of force reasonably like what a reasonable person would use to defend themselves there's a little bit of a difference when it comes to your home and like an intruder or someone that's not supposed to be there then you the limits are a little bit lessened you don't have to retreat and you can use um, more force because of the castle doctrine and the laws that we put in place like I don't know 10-15 years ago
1: <laughs>
2: I was just asking because I live in Rochefort And uh, this nasty, nasty woman called me a nasty name, and I called her a nasty name back, and she slapped me across my face. Huh. Wow. I was taught to never touch a woman. Not touch, excuse me.
0: Well, she should not have done that, obviously, but I think it was the right call not to punch her in the face because then the police show up and uh, they're... Going to be more likely to arrest you. That's just the way of the world, and uh, I don't know that that's necessarily right or wrong. But you could have called the cops on her and had her arrested when she slapped you if you had chosen to do so. But you should not be punching her back unless you're really in fear that she's going to hurt you.
1: Hi. All
0: right. What would, I, what,
2: what would I call? What would I call the cops on assault?
0: Yeah, that's an assault. She assaulted you. You could still call the cops if you choose to do so and report it.
2: How, how long does that last?
0: For a misdemeanor, it's a statute of limitations of a year.
2: So I had some to at my head the
0: other day. Oh my gosh. You live in Rocheport. You have an adventurous life. Uh, that how long, how, you long, can, how long do I have for that? Several years. Yeah. And you might want to get a Protective order and other things uh, seek legal advice potentially. Uh, but that's the break. We got to take a break and then the great pots of bait. That's next. I'm Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for the one and only Gary Nolan on The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network.
2: This is The Gary Nolan Show.